0: Good morning. It is good to see everyone here this morning. And uh, as Brother Chris announced, very good to see visitors with us. And we're very encouraged by your attendance here and your interest in God and and his word and, and worshiping him. What a blessing it has been today to gather as we get to do each and every Lord's Day and worship and praise the amazing God and our creator of all things. Have to apologize at first a little bit in advance. I did ask Wednesday night that everybody would read um, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five, and uh, appreciate uh, Trevor taking us through that reading. And I know Clay prepared a song or two for that with an intent. And I kind of told Clay before I came up, I don't know if I'm even going to get to uh, Matthew chapter five because I've got a couple of introductory things I want to make, but. We may get there and, and we may not. If we don't, that's fine. This is a series I plan to uh, continue preaching until we finish uh, Matthew chapter 5 through 7, which is the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm not going to go past my allotted time. I'm going to stay within that. And we're going to make the points we get to today and wherever we need to pick up next time, we'll do that. This morning, I'd like us to spend some time considering and thinking about the need. For the constant study and practice of fundamentals, the fundamentals of our discipleship, our service to God, our striving to be like Jesus Christ. When you begin to learn anything new or start to do something new, there's always this period of time where you need to learn the fundamentals, the basics, the development of those fundamentals must happen first. And you repeat them over and over. And you practice them over and over. Fundamentals are the basis for the existence and structure of things. Everything has fundamentals, the basic building blocks to all things. And you need them to be successful and to continually grow. You have to evaluate them. You have to study them. You have to strive to strengthen them. So in sports... Fundamentals are extremely critical. And as a coach for my team, um, we work on fundamentals in every single practice, Um, probably to the point where some of the players may not want to come to practice because we we spend so much time on them. But you evaluate, and then you watch a game, and you say, okay, well, we need to spend more time on these fundamentals because it wasn't happening in the game. And you're constantly evaluating those fundamentals, and you want to strengthen them And you want to make them strong. And then you're urging and you're pleading individual players to spend time on their own with these fundamentals. Practice them on your own. Practice as a team is not enough. You need to do more. And why do you encourage that? Because it's going to be to their individual success, but it is also going to be to the success of our team. So with my team, I often try to share stories with them of, basketball players that would exemplify this and of course um, many times stories about Kobe Bryant come up and it's certainly not because he's a a moral man or anything of that nature it's because he does exemplify what it takes to be a successful basketball player. I mean some would argue maybe the greatest of all times and um, I think maybe because of his early death there's been a lot of stories and a lot of interviews with people about Kobe Bryant and some of that's good some of that's bad but his work ethic and his commitment to fundamentals was highly impressive I just again recently listened to another interview from a trainer and this trainer had the opportunity to um, be at a camp where Kobe was and he found out Kobe was going to be having a, a morning workout and he requested from Kobe if he could just come watch and as he goes to watch, the, the workout is supposed to begin at 4 a.m. He gets there a little after 3 a.m. thinking, oh, he's going to get there before Kobe and make sure he's there. And Well, Kobe's already there. He's been there since 3 a.m. His trainer's not there, but he's there. He's working, he's sweating, he's already put a, a pretty extreme workout in. And then his trainer shows up at 4 a.m. He then talks about, for the first 45 minutes of this training session, With his trainer. He spent his time doing nothing but basic fundamental skills. And I'm talking about very basic things. Things that you would normally teach a young child. He was going through them. Slowly. Methodically. Over and over and over again. And this trainer recalls thinking this is. And this was at Kobe's prime when he was very good. He's saying, "I'm, I'm watching this player who's arguably the best player of all time. And he's spending 45 minutes on these basic skills, these basic fundamentals. And so he left, but he just couldn't help himself. The next day, he asked Kobe, why you spend so much time on those basic fundamental skills? And Kobe's response it was, I never get bored with the basics, the fundamentals the basic skills, the things that, again, would probably annoy most of us and tire us out, want us to quit. I've got to do this drill again. I know how to dribble the ball. And he would do them over and over and over. And he believed that's what helped him be great and be successful. And we know, obviously, again, he was a very good basketball player, and he gave his life to that and you know, a worldly endeavor that worked for him. So to be great at something or to be very good at something, we have to give effort to the fundamentals, the basic skills. We cannot get bored with constantly working on them and striving to improve them. This is how we improve. This is how we grow. This is how we become really good at something. And this applies to anything that we want to do. We get this when it comes to worldly endeavors like a basketball game or a player. We get this when it comes to people who are musicians or business leaders or, you know, political leaders, whatever it might be. And we could have inserted any example there. I inserted one that obviously I'm comfortable with and I know about, but many of you watch or follow people and they're worldly people and you certainly wouldn't look up to them in any spiritual sense. But maybe you're impressed at at what they've done and how they've been successful And if you've ever watched an interview with them or read a biography on them, I'm sure you're going to find something very similar about them. They're devoted to the fundamentals. And they have a tireless work ethic. They never stop working on improvement. So we understand that application when it comes to the world. And yet, obviously not everyone in the world makes that type of commitment. Because you only have a few that are like Kobe Bryant or these famous people that we can rattle off. Why? Because just like us in our own Christianity, they might get bored with the fundamentals. They might get distracted and they might quit and they might give up. So obviously the application I want to make for us this morning is in our own spiritual walk with God. And obviously, hopefully the point is obvious. How much more important is it that we have this type of work ethic, this type of commitment to God, this type of laser focus on our fundamentals of Christianity because there is so much greater at stake. It's not about winning the basketball game or winning championships or becoming a famous entertainer or becoming a famous leader. Those are all worldly endeavors, and they won't last But what will last is our soul, our eternity. Where will we spend our eternity? And I would believe since you're here this morning, your desire is to go to heaven when this life is over. To be with God, to be with Jesus, to be with all the saints when this life is over for eternity. And if that is true, and I believe it would be true for all of us, then why do we not take our walk with God, our faith, as serious as people of the world take their careers, their jobs, their hobbies? It is critical that we are as serious as they are about our service to God. Eternity is at stake. And sadly... Just like there's many that won't make the commitment to be great in a sport or a job, there's many people that won't make the commitment to God. They'll ignore the fundamentals of God's commands, the basic instructions of God's commands. And then there will be those who begin the process and say, yeah, I want to go to heaven and I want to be in heaven when this life is over. And they begin the process and yet they get bored with the basics. They get bored with the fundamentals of God's commands. They question, why do we have to go to church every Sunday? Why do we have to partake of the Lord's Supper every week? Why do I have to evangelize? Why do I have to sing? Why can't I just sit here and not sing? Why can't I draw some pictures instead of listen to the sermon?" And they, I would argue, truly don't understand who God is and what God has done for us and what is at stake. But the Bible clearly tells us and Jesus clearly tells us that many will make that choice to give up, to quit. We won't get there today, but in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13, Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, And broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. It's a wide gate. It's an easy gate. It doesn't take any commitment. It doesn't take any effort. And so many will go in by it. Verse 14. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Difficult not in the sense that, oh, you know, you have to have a Ph.D. to figure things out. Difficult in the sense that people don't want to make the commitment to God. They don't want to focus daily on their fundamentals and put that effort in to continually grow. And so sadly, few will find that gate. As Christians, we cannot get bored with our fundamentals, with Our opportunities to be together to worship to study to be in bible classes to partake of the lord's supper to sing even bible stories that we've read hundreds and hundreds of times and we've read the sermon on the mount many times but again this is a part of our repetition our commitment level and our growth and our fundamentals I think, and again, this, this could be my opinion, but I, I believe there's good evidence for it, that one of the most neglected fundamentals is simply remembering who God is. And I say that because over and over, especially in the Old Testament, we have Bible verses that talk about either a commandment or instruction from God to remember or to not forget God. Or, sadly, that God's people did forget. And it led them in a bad path. And I didn't look up every single verse, but I looked up around 50 verses that talked about just this idea of forgetting God and the need to remember who God is. How often do we think about that? That God is our creator. That he gave me life. That I have nothing without God. That I have no chance at salvation except through God. If we are mindful of those things on a daily basis, that is going to strengthen our resolve. and That's going to help us deal with a lot of issues that we come up with in this life and we encounter in this life. Let's look at a couple of examples. As I said, there's, there's well over 50, but we're just going to look at a couple of them. And we're going to start in Deuteronomy chapter 6. So as I always encourage, I hope you have a Bible with you. If not, there's a Bible in the pew there in front of you. And I hope you have something to take down, some notes. And as Brother Chris said, we're going to have a get-together at our house after this. And I certainly hope you all can be there. And I would certainly love to talk more about the lesson or, or God's Word or our commitment to grow together. But if you're using a pew Bible, it is page 127 page 127 this is Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now remember this is a repeating of the law and they are also in these first few chapters really striving to remind the people of their commitment level to this law and what that takes and some warnings and what that is going to look like on their part in order to keep that commitment. So Deuteronomy chapter 6 I'm actually going to start in verse 1. Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God, to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged." Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. If that sounds familiar. That is Jesus repeating this in the New Testament when the lawyer tries to test him and says, what's the greatest command? And Jesus quotes this as being the greatest command. Talk about a basic principle, a basic fundamental that we have to grasp, that we have to give our all to God, our love and our service to him. And of course, Jesus also adds the second is to love your neighbor. To love others. Our love and our service is a critical, fundamental skill of being a Christian. Verse 6, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. We have to get these words, these fundamentals, these commands in our heart. And we have to keep them there. How can we keep them there? Well, let's read on. Verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. Verse 8, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they should, shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Verse 9, you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. How can we strive to keep these fundamentals? You talk about them. You teach them. You bind them. You write them. They're constantly on my mind. We've been talking a lot about what is on our mind is going to lead to some fruits. And if we are putting God's commands and we are putting a reminder upon our mind of who God is and what God has done for us and who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us, what is that going to produce? What kind of fruits is that going to produce? It's going to produce fruits of a child of God that God looks down upon and he sees and he's happy to see. And it brings him joy. Same book, Deuteronomy, just flip back a couple chapters to chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 9. Chapter 4, verse 9. Only take heed to yourself. Again, we see that come up a lot. Take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself Lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. If we're not diligent, if we're not focused on these basics, these fundamentals, we can forget them. We can see them depart from our heart. And that is going to lead to our downfall. Again, continuing in verse 9, and teach them to your children and your grandchildren. Verse 10, especially concerning the day you stood before the Lord, your God in Horeb, when the Lord said to me, gather the people to me and I will let them hear my words that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth and that they may teach their children. God's words. It is so critical that if anyone tries to lead us to another book or to the the teachings of a man or the words of a man that we always come back to. What does the Bible say? What are God's words? What has he instructed us? These are the words that are going to judge us. These are the words that when I put them on my mind are going to produce fruits that are worthy before God. Sorry, I had a couple slides. Um, Another one that we just studied about in Wednesday night as Chris is leading us through the study of Jeremiah was Jeremiah chapter 3 and, and we saw this in Isaiah and we, we see, we'll see this a few times in the prophets where they are told they have forgotten their God. Now again, does that mean they, they just don't know who God is anymore? No, it means that God is not in their mind anymore. God is not in their hearts anymore. And what is on their heart? Well, what's on their heart now are things like idols and desiring to be like foreign nations. Uh, And that has become their focus. Um, One more to consider. If you turn over to Nehemiah chapter 9, this is on page 335 of the Bible Pew. Nehemiah chapter 9. I'm not going to read the entire chapter, but I do want to highlight a couple verses. And while you're turning there, just remember that they have come back from captivity. They have built the wall. And they are now opening the law. And you remember their reaction as they wept when they heard the word. Because it had been so long. And they also recognized their own sin and that they needed to change. And Nehemiah 9 is really about the process of them striving to change. And in verse 4, excuse me, in verse 5, where these men are standing up and they're, they're crying out. It says, Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessings and praise. Verse 6. You alone are the Lord. You have made heaven. The heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and everything on it, the seas and all that is in them. And you... Preserve them all. The host of heaven worships you. This is where it starts. Believing and knowing who God is, that He is the creator of everything, that He has given me life, that He has made me in His image, to be a child of His. But to be a child, there's a responsibility. On my behalf And they're recognizing That they need to do that And they're also recognizing That their forefathers Had made some mistakes So if you drop down Nehemiah chapter 9 And drop down to verse 16 But they and our fathers Acted proudly hardened their necks And did not heed your commandments Verse 17 Key verse here They refused to obey and they were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them. But they hardened their necks and in their rebellion they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. Now we skipped the big chunk there but much of Nehemiah 9 is about all the amazing things. The the many wonders, the miracles, the plagues, the, the sea being departed. They had witnessed all those things. So how could they rebel against God after seeing all that? Because they were not mindful. They didn't keep those things on their mind. They saw it, it was over, it was in the past, and now their mind was on something else. They needed to, just like we need to, keep our mind on the wonders of God. The miracles of God, the amazing creation of God. And then we can stay on the correct track. And again, notice it says they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. Can we return to our sin? Absolutely. If we're not mindful of God and who he is and what he's done, we can easily find ourselves returning to sin. Let's not make the mistake that they made. Let's remember to be mindful of God's word. So what do we learn from this? Well, first I think uh, hopefully we realize there's a constant effort that takes needs to take place that we are constantly working and focusing our minds and our hearts on these fundamentals, these basic things. We can never get bored. We can never say, well, I already know that story. I don't need to study that again. I've already read the Bible through. I don't need to read the Bible. I've been to church. I've sang songs. It, it can never end. And if we truly know who God is and what he's done for us, we won't want it to end. We won't want it to end. As we read, as Trevor read in that passage, we will hunger and thirst for righteousness. We'll never get enough of being together with God's people. We'll never get enough of studying his word and growing and building our commitment. Thinking about God as our creator, giving us life, making us in his image is a powerful thing to consider. So where do we go? We want to focus on the fundamentals and we've talked about a few of them. Quite honestly, studying any part of God's word would be valuable, would be powerful. I think Genesis chapter 1 would be a, a great place to study and go through the creation and after everything God created he said it is good and then he makes us in his image and he says it's all good what God made was good and can be good maybe that's a place to start and to continue to read over and over to build our fundamentals maybe it's the gospels and and maybe it's the death of Jesus Maybe thinking about what Christ did for me and and, and the horrific and painful death on the cross would build my fundamentals. I think those things certainly would do it. But for me, I kept coming back to the teachings of Jesus and specifically the Sermon on the Mount, which again covers Matthew chapter 5 through 7. Three chapters early in Jesus' ministry and he covers so many topics the more I read it the more I kept thinking we could almost just have the Sermon on the Mount and we would have enough he gives us so much about what God wants of us how we are to live and what a focus on the heart the heart, the mind, the attitude and what do we know about God what does he look at he looks at the heart. We might be able to fool people on the outward appearance and they think, oh, he loves God and he's here at church and he's doing what he needs to do. But if our heart is not truly in it, if our attitude is not right, all those things are in vain. We could be here this morning. And if our heart and mind is not truly in to this worship hour together, it's in vain. And maybe nobody in this room knows it, but God knows it. We cannot fool God. The other thing that I love about this is in three chapters, Jesus covering all these basics, if you read this, and I, I had my app read it, and I timed it, it's less than 15 minutes. It was about 13 minutes and 30 seconds to read the entire Sermon on the Mount. Uh, you might be saying, hey, you're way past 15 minutes in your lesson, so you need to, to learn from that. But that's, that's not the point. So we'll talk, we can talk about that lunch if you want. Um, it's just amazing to me that I could spend 15 minutes of my life every day and hear the entire Sermon on the Mount from Jesus. And what would that do for me if I listened to that every day or if I read it every day? So you don't have 15 minutes? Okay, read one chapter a day. Five minutes. You don't have five minutes? I think you need to remind yourself of who God is. And he created you. And he gave you life. And you're made in his image. And he's going to judge us one day. So if we don't have five minutes for him now, we can't expect him to have any time for us at the time of judgment. Putting our fundamentals to work is so critical in our lives. And so here in Matthew chapter 5 to 7, we have Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And I'm going to start actually with the end of this. So if you have your Bibles open to um, Matthew chapter 5, if you're in a pew Bible, that's page 651. 651. I'm going to actually flip over a couple pages to chapter 7 the very end of this sermon chapter 7 verse 28 and so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes are you ever astonished when you read the words of Jesus? These people were. They were there looking at Jesus on this mountain, hearing him speak for 15 minutes, and they were astonished with what he talked about and his authority and his understanding and how he presented it. We too can be astonished. We too can sit at the feet of Jesus He may not be physically in front of us at the mountain, but we can read these same words that they read, that they were astonished by, that they were moved by, and that can have the same effect on us. So I hope as we go through this series of studies uh, the next few months that you'll take some time and you'll read through the Sermon on the Mount uh, several times. So I won't read the text again. Brother Trevor did that for us. I appreciate that. Um, But what caused Jesus to to teach this sermon? There's going to be a lot of connections to what we've been talking about in our study of relationships. Well, Jesus saw the multitude. And we know when he saw the multitudes of people, he felt compassion. He felt concern, He wanted to teach. He wanted to help them. And it says simply that he opened his mouth and he taught them. Our last lesson, the last lesson that I presented was on evangelism. How simple is it for me to just open my mouth and teach and be an example and say the words of God or read a Bible verse and let Jesus do the talking? The tongue is certainly a a powerful thing. We know James talks about how it can be used for bad, but it can be used for good in many ways as well. So the first few verses are what we call the Beatitudes, and you probably have a title in your Bible, um, and it's not... A part of the passage, it's a man-made title um, that they put there called the Beatitudes. And it comes from this Latin word uh, that means blessing. And so it's a, a state of bliss. It's a, a blessing. It's being blessed in a way that brings extreme happiness. And it makes you feel fortunate and well off. And what's impressive uh, about this is Jesus starts his sermon with these beatitudes, these blessings. But you'll notice quickly that the only way to get those blessings is by an action on our part. We have to do something. We have to become something. Okay, And I would argue that these are certainly some of the fundamentals of being a disciple of Jesus, that we have to put these things on. And as I said a moment ago, I think you'll see a lot of these things connect with what we've been talking about in our study on relationships so let's at least start with a summary and so in the first 12 verses these listing of beatitudes things that Jesus says blessed is the man who does this and then specifically tells them what that blessing will be so if if you were to summarize and this is just my own personal summary okay it's not You know, word for word, exactly how Jesus stated it. But this person, the person who is humble, caring, serving, desperate to be like God, merciful, compassionate, always seeking peace, persecuted. That person, the person that that exemplifies and puts all those things in their life. That person will be blessed. Happiness, fortunate, well off. That person will go to heaven. That person will be comforted. That person will have a good life on this earth. And of course, that's within perspective because he just told you you're going to be persecuted. So it doesn't mean I'm going to be rich. It doesn't mean I'm going to be famous. I'm going to have a lot of possessions. It means I know where true joy comes from my service to God, and if that leads to my persecution, then I count it as a blessing, and I'm thankful for it, that I get to be with God, and I get to be a son of God. I find it amazing that Jesus starts off his sermon with these blessings. Jesus came to bless us, and the first thing he lists in his sermon are the blessings we can receive if we live like Jesus. Because is that not Jesus? Is Jesus not all of those things? Does he not exemplify all those things? If we strive to be like Christ and we put these things on in our life, we will be blessed. I think it's also an important point to note that it shows that our happiness, our true happiness, comes from our own actions. Everyone's always seeking happiness and they'll, they'll seek for it in money and possessions and, and fame and all these different avenues. But this is true joy. This is true happiness. How do I get that? By becoming that person. By living in a humble manner. By caring and serving and being compassionate. So we have an impact on our own happiness by the choices we make and how we live. Of course, the world would teach opposite. The world would say you need to have certain amounts of possessions and money and cars and and all sorts of things, but this is why Jesus came. He came to correct error. He came to teach truth. And the truth is, if we are focused on these fundamental principles of being like Christ, we will find true joy, we will find true happiness, and in the end... We'll find a home in heaven. We're going to continue our study at the next time that I preach, and we're going to look at each of these beatitudes a little bit closer and what they mean. What does it mean to be poor in spirit, to mourn, to be meek, to hunger for thirst and righteousness, to be merciful, to be pure in heart, to be peacemakers, and to be persecuted? We'll focus on those individually a little bit more, but I hope this morning that you take two things away from this lesson. One is that it takes an extreme commitment level upon our part. Nobody can do it for us. We have to put in the work and the effort, just like you would in anything else in life. And there's nothing more worth putting the commitment into than your discipleship and your service to God. And secondly, when you live like Jesus... You're going to be blessed in this life with true happiness and with a home in heaven. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian and you've not been baptized for the remission of your sins, as we talked about in Bible class this morning, then there's a need first for you to understand that you need to do that. You need to know who God is and what he's done for you and that he sent his son Jesus to die so that you could be forgiven. But that takes some action on your part. And you need to be baptized for the remission of your sins. And you need to give your life and serve God and live like Jesus until that final day of judgment. If you're here this morning and you have not been baptized for the remission of your sins, we'd love to assist you with that. Or if we can just offer prayers for you on your behalf and encouraging you in your walk, whatever it is in which we could help you, we ask you to come forward now as we stand and sing.